finish the book of Hebrews this morning. So if you'll turn in the back of the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, the 13th chapter, and we'll begin at verse 1 and we'll finish this wonderful, powerful epistle that we've been studying over the last several months. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Jerry's in the back and he'll be happy to hand you a Bible so you can follow along with us. But if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 13, we'll begin our study there at verse 1. And um, as we get into our study of the book of Hebrews, uh, many of you have said how you've really enjoyed this study. You can't find a lot of studies in Hebrews uh, in this book, this epistle, and, and I hope you've been blessed and benefited as we've gone through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And I know uh, that, that certainly it's a blessing t- for me to be able to teach it and, and go over these things once again. But <clears throat> as we begin this morning, I want to remind you, um, as we get into chapter 13, you remember that Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, that he was writing about spiritual gifts. And at the end of chapter 12, he says that I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And in 1 Corinthians 13, which many of you know that chapter, is the love chapter, speaking of God's love and God's love being worked out in our lives. And that's the greatest gift, is love. And at the end of the chapter, and now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And as we've been going over the last few weeks from the end of chapter 10 to today, we are looking at these uh, virtues that characterize the life of a believer. At the end of chapter 10, the just shall live by faith. So the first virtue that characterizes our lives is faith. As we looked at the heroes of faith, all the stories of those of the Old Testament, how they lived in faith and all these died in faith. And then as we finished chapter 12 last time, we as believers, we have the second virtue, that is hope. Uh, Hope in the scriptures and the New Testament is different than the way that we use the word. We say well, I hope it isn't too you know, hot today, or I hope you know, this works out for me. But the word hope in the New Testament is certainty. It's a certainty because God's word declares it. And we have hope because we have come to Mount Zion, as we read, to the city of the heavenly Jerusalem. And you and I, we have the hope of heaven. We have the hope that we will live in that, that new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth, that Revelation chapters 21 and 22 speak of. And you and I, like Abraham, we have hope. We know that it is certain that as we have faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, who he is, going to the cross, dying for our sins, that was the first Ten chapters of the epistle establishing us in that truth. And now as we move into the final chapter of Hebrews, the third virtue of a believer's life is going to be mentioned, and that is love. So let's begin to look at that as we read in verse 1, let brotherly love continue. So let love flow from you. And throughout the New Testament, we are told as believers that we are to love one another. It's the greatest commandment given in Scripture. Even Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus would tell his disciples, they're going to know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. And here's the interesting thing here, that the writer of Hebrews, of course inspired by the Spirit of God, uses the Greek word for love, phileo. Now there are different words for love in the Greek, and God's love is agape love. Only the Christian can experience agape love. It's the love of God that he puts in us that we can grow in. It's God's love is a perfect kind of love, and that's still being worked out in our lives as we grow in Christ. 
But there's another word for love in the scripture, and it's phileo. It speaks of a brotherly love. Uh, we know the city of brotherly love, phileo, Philadelphia. Um, and so phileo love speaks of that love of deep friendship and closeness. And, and that should be flowing from our lives as well. So agape love, which is God's love, but then phileo love is a brotherly kind of love for one another, really drawing close to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that really is my prayer, that as people come here to Calvary Chapel, that they will know that we are his disciples, not how big we are, how many programs we got, or, or whatever the case may be, but that we have agape love that is in us being worked out in our lives, but also extending not only agape love to others, but that phileo love to others. Because people are coming in and they're hurting. They're lonely. Uh, they're confused. And so we want to reach out to others. And that's going to be con the continued uh, emphasis as we move on here in verse 2. And don't forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels un or unknowingly entertained angels. Now, this is an interesting verse, isn't it? We do know that angels are real. Angels are mentioned from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. But keep in mind that one of the emphasis early in this epistle was that Jesus is superior to any angelic being, any angelic creature. He's superior to any prophet or priest. And that's the theme of the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better. He is superior. He is the perfect high priest. He's the compassionate high priest. He's the sympathetic high priest that has come along, who, who gives us a better promise, uh, ministers and gives us a better covenant, uh, became uh, the better sacrifice, dying for our sins once and for all. But here, as it's being mentioned here, that don't forget to show hospitality, to extend that to strangers. And I think that the emphasis isn't that, do you know that some of you unwillingly have entertained angels? And we read this, and, and don't think that now, as you know, that uh, you know, angels can appear as men. We know that from Luke's narrative, that when the, uh, Mary went to the tomb, that she saw two angels appear as men, so they can appear as men. But don't leave here thinking, well, maybe I should pick up every hitchhiker, you know, that I see on the side of the road, because they just might be an angel, or invite somebody that I meet on the street home. Listen, have discernment, you know, be wise. But it is interesting. I wonder as I read this, have I ever unknowingly entertained an angel? I don't know. I can't say for sure. Won't know until I get to the other side of eternity, even if that will be important at that time. But the emphasis here is that you need to extend hospitality to strangers, to others. Uh, make sure that you're extending that brotherly love to others. That's what the context here is being told to us. And how we can apply this verse is this, that the person perhaps that's coming to church, that family, perhaps as you see them, and they're new, and we have a lot of new people that are coming. Even as I look out at summertime, we're in summer, and we're still full, and the coffee shop's packed out, and the kids' classrooms are packed out. But as we extend to others hospitality, reach out to them, showing brotherly love, invite them perhaps to lunch. Say, hey, you want to go out and get some brunch or lunch afterwards? Because those of you who have been around long enough, and, and some of you have been here for many years, they... 
maybe you forget when you first came, it was a little bit awkward or, or a little bit, uh, you know, you didn't know anybody. And, and it's hard, particularly as we have three morning services, that there isn't a whole lot of time of fellowship. So I want to encourage all of you to, to get involved. Come on Wednesday nights. You're going to be blessed as we're going through the book of Isaiah, as, as we'll be starting up those Bible studies, lady studies, and men's studies, and, and young adults. Go to wildfire. Get to know some people. It takes time, but for us as well to reach out to one another, to extend that hospitality to somebody and say, hey, how would you like you and your family to come over for for you know dinner you know how would you like to go out for lunch you know if it involves food i'll be there but that's one of the ways that you can extend to others and just encourage others be hospitable to others in the body of christ and that's the way to develop relationships and listen it does take time and it takes a little bit of effort on our parts to just keep being with the body of christ we need each other especially more than ever in the days in which we are living in so Show brotherly love. Verse 3, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are uh, mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So this is a reference to those who had been in prison for their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, in the early church, you know that they went through great hostility and persecution, even faced death. So here it is talking about the Christians being mistreated. Of course, the Hebrew Christians being mistreated by the hands of their brethren, but also Rome would begin a persecution against all the Christians about this time that this epistle is being written. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, you might recall uh, here, if it was Paul the Apostle, we don't know for sure, but the writer in chapter 10 mentioned that you guys had compassion on me in my chains. And so the writer had been in prison, and of course Paul would qualify for that because Paul, he went through great hostility and persecution on his missionary journeys. You read about that in the book of Acts. He was in prison in Philippi, in prison in Jerusalem, in prison in Caesarea, two imprisonments in Rome until finally that Caesar Nero in about 67 AD gives the order to bring Paul out of that dungeon and behead him put him to death. And in the same year, some church tradition says that Peter and Paul were executed on the same day. We don't know for sure, but we know that Peter, in the same year, he was executed by the orders given by the emperor Nero. So a great persecution is happening in the early church at this time. And today there are many Christians that are mistreated for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And there are those who are being put to death, those who are being imprisoned. Those in the Middle East, those in the Far East, those in Africa. Matter of fact, we have a young lady that grew up in this church, Jamie, who is on her way to South Sudan, even as we speak. In South Sudan, the Christians have been heavily persecuted by the Muslims up north. I've been to South Sudan. I've heard their stories. Absolutely incredible. So we need to be praying for Jamie. We need to be praying uh, for the ministry there that West has, far-reaching ministries in South Sudan and in Uganda and in Africa. And we have a tendency to forget that there going through all of that um, in our lives. And we do live in a nation where we don't experience that kind of persecution, perhaps, of being in prison, being put to death, but hostility is growing against the Christians. And I personally believe that unless there's a great awakening, which is the last hope for our nation, that happens here, we need to be praying for our nation, we need to be praying for our leaders, but if there isn't a great awakening, that hostility and persecution is going to grow against you and me in this country.
and it's going to grow as we get closer to the return of the Lord. You see it happening, that more and more people and culture is coming against you and I as Christians, and that's going to increase um, unless there's a revival that takes place. So we need to encourage one another because some of you, you are going through hostility by the hands of others. Maybe family members or those at work or uh, maybe it's um, whatever the case may be that you're going through some kind of uh, persecution, uh, even as Paul would say to Timothy that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, and it can be hard. And we want to encourage each other, remember that. Again, that's why it's important that we belong to the body of Christ, that we're here to be encouraged, because all of us can experience that to one degree. So here, don't forget, he says, those who are in prison, those who are being persecuted, those who are going through hostilities, and our Christianity, listen, our Christianity is not just about us. How comfortable I am. And so much of that has crept into the church today. It's about me mentality, consumer kind of Christianity, how comfortable, I don't like these seats, you know, and, and, you know, entertainment and hype and all this other stuff. That is not what our Christianity is about. It is about others. And brothers and sisters that we can extend brotherly love to, be hospitable towards, kind to and pray for those who are going through some kind of hostility because of their faith. This needs to be a place where all those things are taking place and being worked out in our lives. And remember those in the body, he says, that literally are persecuted for their faith in Jesus, the body of Christ, which we all belong to. And then in verse 4, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Listen, I'm going to be a little bit direct here. Because God's word is very clear that any sexual activity outside of marriage is sin. I don't care if two people come up to me and say, well, we just love each other and this is what culture says and this is what's acceptable in society. Any sex outside the covenant of marriage, God's word from beginning to end says it is sin. And I want to make that very clear. Because that message is being compromised in the church today. And the Greek word here in verse 4 for fornicator has the meaning of one who is involved in sex outside of marriage. Marriage is a covenant that God has established for us between a man and a woman is to be honorable. It is God's holy institution, which he loves, according to Malachi chapter 2, verse 11. And any sexual relation is something that is between a husband and wife in a confines uh, of the marriage covenant. And we are to keep the marriage relationship undefiled and pure, not to commit adultery. And those of you who are single, listen. You are to stay pure, not only spiritually, but physically. And the world comes along and tells you something completely different, that it's okay. It's okay to live together. I'm going to be real honest. Over the last several years, how many Christians or those who say they're Christians think it's okay to live together, to be involved sexually? And I want you to know that God loves you. And he's calling you to repent. And we need to know what God's word says. 
and sexual immorality, a lifestyle of it, and being unrepented of fornication and adultery, God will judge it because he will judge sin. And I want to quickly remind you, and I do this all the time, but we need to make 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Next week, we're going to begin to look at 1 John, that epistle, an absolute masterpiece, 1 John. But John, the apostle of love, writing about loving one another. And then he says at the end of his epistle in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, write it down and get it into your heart. He says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and all his commandments are, are not burdensome. In other words, every commandment that God gives to us in his word is an expression of his love to you. Do you know that? You see, his commandments are given to us to harm our lives, um, to to make our lives boring. He's not a killjoy. It's not to put you in bondage, any of those things. You see, sin is what will keep you in bondage, and he wants you and I to experience that abundant life. So he says, this is the way to live. This is how to, to live in the right way, in righteousness. That's what it means. And as you live in that, it's an expression of his love. He says, I don't want you to get hurt because sin is so destructive. And in 26 years of ministry, the destruction and the terrible consequences that I've seen people go through and families go through because of sin and immorality, and, and it, it, it is hard and difficult because of adultery and fornication. And the consequences are grave and great physically, emotionally, marriages that end, families that are split, the emotional toll that it takes on people. And God loves you and I so much, he says, don't do it. Because you're going to get hurt. And there is forgiveness. But the church is compromising on this. And when people come to me and say, well, God just loves us the way we are. He loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And if you think that you can live in immorality, adultery, fornication, that's not God's word given to you. And if somebody, listen, wants you to be involved in sin and sexual sin, they are not expressing true love to you. They say, oh, I love you. No, they don't. They are full of lust. And they're not showing God's love. They're not in the realm of God's love. Keep his commandments because he loves you. And his commandments are not burdensome. He wants you to be free. He wants you to have a good conscience. He wants to bless you. But sin is just going to hold you in bondage and defeat you. And you're going to be depressed and you're going to be discouraged. So live for him. And let your conduct be without covetousness. Verse 5. Be content with such things as you have for he himself has said i will never leave you or forsake you so we may boldly say the lord is my helper i will not fear what can man do to me continuing in brotherly love be hospitable to strangers remember those who are mistreated honor your marriage vows all these have to do with love now you say what about being content what does that have to do with love i think it's very simple that the more that you truly love god you will be content and you will be truly satisfied and fulfilled in life and you will have true joy it's a huge lesson for us to learn it's a lesson to teach your kids because people are looking for fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and happiness in all kinds of places and in the world and you will not find it 
It comes by knowing him and loving him and walking with him. And if you have little materially in the Lord, be content. You do have him. You have a heavenly inheritance that awaits that is eternal. He promises he'll never leave you or forsake you. These Hebrew Christians needed to know that truth because in chapter 10, the, the writer says, they come and they plunder your possessions. They were taking their goods. They didn't have any. And oftentimes when persecution came, they would have to leave their city and move somewhere else. You have the Lord in his love, his Holy Spirit in you. Be content. If you have much materially, God has blessed you, then be content and be a good steward of what God has given to you. And all of us are to be thankful. Paul would write in Philippians 4, in whatever state that I am in, I have learned to be content. It has to be learned. And we live in a society where we are being bombarded daily and constantly that you will not truly be happy and fulfilled unless you have this thing. And all of us, we may know people personally, and we see people in the news or wherever it may be that they seem to have it all. They have the fame, they have the prestige, they have the power, they have the riches, they have what it seems like the whole world, and they are miserable because they don't have Christ. Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And may you always remember this, and may I always remember it, that true joy and fulfillment and happiness and satisfaction comes by being close to the Lord and walking in His ways, knowing Him, loving Him, enjoying Him. In verse 7, and remember those who rule over you, that is, lead, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. The writer of Hebrews now is giving them some spiritual direction and commandments as it relates to spiritual leaders. Remember those who lead, who have spoken the word of God to you. Notice what we learn here is that godly leadership is characterized by those who are faithful to his word. It's not only teaching it, but having godly conduct, in other words, being obedient to what the Word of God says, how we are to live our lives. It is a message, it is a command to me as a pastor and as a parent. Parents, we are to lead. You're commissioned to raise your children in the admonition and in the training of the Lord, right? That is a commandment given to you. You see, we here at Calvary Chapel, we take very seriously the children's ministry. I think that we have a very dynamic children's ministry to get your kids grounded in the Word of God at their level. The youth group, young adults with Jesse, and we are going to be here to minister and give the Word of God. But parents, you are to take the lead in that. And there are kids that come that they don't have that, that guidance. They don't have that covering from their parents. And we want to minister to whoever comes and, and to your children. But parents, you who are here and grandparents, you train your children in the ways of the Lord. You raise them up in the word of God and then be that godly example. Don't be one. And I hear this at times of, you know, get in the car, kids, so you can go learn some Bible verses. And then you're living a compromised life. It won't work. It's a mixed message. Give them the word of God and may they see it being worked out in your life. And we as leaders in the church, the same thing. That I'm to be the same man out of the pulpit that I am behind the pulpit. 
It was Paul that told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 6, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. You and I who desire to minister, we are to be true to the word of God and we are to live the word of God. We are to be true to the gospel, to the cross, and we are to live the cross. Paul would say to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So can people see something of Christ as they look at your life and as they look at my life? And in verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The immutability of Jesus, the unchanging nature of Jesus, and the word that Jesus gives is the same. It doesn't change. It's important for us to understand this. Sometimes people will say to you and to me, well, if Jesus was addressing the issues of our culture today, that uh, if he were here today, it would be different. Jesus would change his view. He would change his philosophy. Anybody says that to you, you take him to this verse. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word does not change. Isaiah chapter 40 that we're in, that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. It is true for us. And as we are taught the nature of Jesus from the Gospels and the Word of God and what He's declared to us, as we learn and discover in the Scriptures, it is true of Him today and forever. And what His Word says to us and what He says how you and I as His disciples are to live applies for us today. And that brings me great comfort and assurance because culture changes all the time. The philosophy of the world changes all the time, but the Word of God is forever. And it stands and I know that the message that he gives of hope and blessing and his promises and commandments are true for me today. And verse 9, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been <laughs> occupied with them. And we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals, verse 11, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For there we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. A couple things to note in these verses that we read. Verse 9, don't be carried about or away, is what it means, with various and strange doctrines. And all throughout church history, there have been the strange doctrines that have come into the church. We'll talk about it next week when we start First John. That John begins to address right away a false doctrine that was Gnosticism, the Gnostics. Uh, it means to know. They thought that they had superior knowledge, but it was wrong knowledge. It was strange doctrine. And all throughout church history, there has been that that has come into the church, and it's true today. That's why we need to know the immutable, infallible, inspired word of God. And if you don't, you're going to end up embracing that which is deceptive and wrong, which pleases the flesh. It sounds so good, but it's not biblical. And I hear constantly of just strange doctrine that comes creeping into the church. And it's amazing how quickly Christians get involved in it. And you can read God's word and you can say, that, that's not God's word. That's not what we're about. So that's why we prioritize the study of God's word. 
so that we don't get involved in deceptive doctrines. Paul would say in the last days that people would depart from the faith, have itchy ears, give themselves over to fables and myths, you know, heaping up and, and raising up teachers after what they want to hear, getting involved in doctrines of demons. Verse 9, I have it underlined, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited. Probably these Hebrew Christians were being pressured to go back to the Levitical system, to the dietary laws that were there. And, and uh, if they didn't, they would be told that uh, you're illegitimate. And, and they're being reminded that it is grace. And there's always been those. You know, there's always a group of people or somebody calls me on the radio or, you know, comes along and, and says, well, why don't you guys at Calvary Chapel worship on the Sabbath day? That's the day that you are to worship. Why don't you keep the dietary laws? We're the spiritual ones. It's grace. It's not foods. Paul would write in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul told Timothy, there are those who are commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Nothing is to be refused if received with thanksgiving. So, you know, those who come along and say, you have to keep the dietary laws, why don't you do that? If you want to keep the dietary laws, go ahead. But don't mess with my, you know, sausage McMuffin that I like to get at times and bring here to church. And I understand that we want to be careful what we eat and, and we want to eat healthy and all those things. But don't say that you're not spiritual. You're really not a Christian because you don't keep the dietary laws. And then there are those who will come along and say, well, you don't worship on the Sabbath, on a certain day of the week. Romans 12, as Paul writes, one man esteems one day above another. If you want to worship on the Sabbath, go ahead, worship on the Sabbath. One man esteems every day alike. You be convinced in your own mind. I'm one that I esteem every day alike. Every day, to me, we can gather, have Bible study, worship the Lord. You say, they say that wasn't in the early church. You see it in the earliest days in Acts chapter 2 that they went from house to house daily worshiping, serving one another, praising God. And the writer reminds them something very important in verses 10 through 14 that we have an altar, verse 10, from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. An altar speaks of access to God, doesn't it? And the high priest that would go in on the Day of Atonement, two animals were slain, Leviticus chapter 16. A bull for the priest and his family, a goat for the rest of the people, the blood of the sacrifices, according to Leviticus 16, sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, and the carcasses were taken outside the camp, and they were burnt, verse 11. You have an altar and access to God. What is it? It is the cross. Therefore, you go to him, verse 13. Jesus, who took that cross, and went outside the city walls of Jerusalem out the Damascus gate. Went to that place of execution and died for you and for me because of his love for us. And you see, we've been reminded quite extensively and plainly that the weakness of the earthly tabernacle and the old covenant and all of that couldn't bring you into access to the throne of grace. 
but because of our great high priest and our compassionate high priest who went to the cross and died for our sins once and for all, the animal sacrifices couldn't do that. It was a continual work. It only covered sin. They brought the sacrifices day after day, year after year, for 1,500 years till Jesus came and died once and for all for our sins. And because of who he is and what he did for us, Chapter 10 tells us that we can come boldly into the Holy of Holies, that is, into the presence of God with confidence, not our own confidence, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You go to that altar, you go to Calvary, there's no other access to God, folks. It isn't you trying to be religious, it isn't you trying to be good, it isn't a church, Calvary Chapel can't do that, a a pastor, a priest can't do that. Go outside the city, the camp, outside of religiousness and rules and rituals and go to Jesus who died for you, who loves you, provided for you. Our, Our altar is Calvary and salvation and relationship with the Father comes through him. So don't go back to the altar that doesn't do that. And therefore, by him, let us continually offer, verse 15, a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. When I think about what Jesus has done for me, and I can't help but praise him and give thanks to him, don't go back to the animal sacrifices, to the rituals, to religion, but give a sacrifice of praise from your heart that is what pleases God. And verse 16, but do not forget to do good and to share For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Not only our sacrifice of praise to the Lord, but showing um, and and showing uh, that you care and sharing with others, doing good is a sacrifice pleasing to God. Remember that a sacrifice is something that costs you something, but is pleasing to God. And obey those as we continue who rule over you, or that is lead you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I want us to understand the heart of what is being told to us. Obey those who lead you, rule over you, be submissive. Now, God has set up an authority structure in our homes and in the church, and those who are called to lead, to rule, It's not speaking of rule where we have dominion over you or it's abusive or overbearing or dictatorial or any of those things. Jesus told his disciples, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, that means you be the servant of all and you humble yourself. To rule over others with a heavy hand, that's Gentile stuff and it's not so with you. Paul, when he was addressing the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that there are those who had come along who proclaimed to be super apostles and prophets, and, and Paul says, you put up with them. He said, we came to give you the gospel freely, to serve you, not to have dominion or rule over you, but to be helpers of your joy. There has always been those who have come along, you know, in the church to rule over others with a heavy hand. There's been the shepherding doctrine that you still see in, in small you know, portions of, of the church that you have an elder that you report to, and you can't do anything without the permission of that elder. You give to that elder. You can't marry. You can't take a job. You can't buy things without the permission of that elder. The shepherding doctrine. And there has been that since the beginning of the church. Jesus writing to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, he commends the church at Ephesus. He says to them that you hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Nico means to rule. 
That's where Nike got their word. You know, Nike shoes, you get my shoes. In, in Nike shoes, you can rule over people, you can run faster, you can jump higher. So Nico means to rule, laetin, laeti, to rule over the people. Jesus says, I hate that doctrine. You see, I'm here as a leader to be the servant of all. And those of us who pastor here, who are leaders... Not to rule over you, but to be helpers of your joy. And it brings me great joy to bring you the word of God that you may do well. That you may grow in the Lord. To be here to serve you. I see it as a privilege and an honor to do that every day. And then the writer, as he begins to, to sum it up, pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Pray for us. I, I wish I knew who he was asking for prayer. Is it Paul and Barnabas, Timothy, you know, whoever it was, they had a good conscience in their ministry, how they lived. And I want that. How I minister, how I live. I ask that you would pray for me. I ask that you pray for the leadership for us as the church grows and and, and I look out, and it's middle of summer, and we're still full. And, and I think, wow, Lord, what are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to pray. But as God guides, he will provide. But pray for wisdom. Pray for guidance. Pray that we're just in the will of God. And here, he wanted prayer, especially for him to be restored to those believers. And you can sense this gentle, caring love for these Hebrew believers. And then the benediction, verse 20, Now may the Lord of peace, or God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd. Hebrews, he's called Jesus the great shepherd. First Peter, the chief shepherd. Jesus called himself the good shepherd that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints, those from Italy greet you greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. The book of Hebrews. Father, we thank you for just allowing us to go through this incredible epistle. And Lord, I pray that even today, we went over a lot, that these things would be worked out in our lives. And the key is loving you. Because love will do more than we can do in our own flesh, or being legalistic, or trying to be religion in our own effort. But, Lord, we want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, staying close to you, having a good conscience. Lord, that you would enable us to, to keep these things that you have told us. And, Lord, I want to pray for anyone who's here that maybe you haven't come to that altar, the cross, that he is your salvation. There is none other. Jesus went to the cross because he loves you so much with an infinite love, an unsearchable, indescribable love that he went to the cross to die for you, to give you hope as you come in faith recognizing you need to be forgiven because we're all sinners. And Jesus did the work for you. You just come and receive it. Salvation is a free gift as you come in faith. 
And as you surrender your heart to him and recognize you need to be forgiven, that Jesus is the son of God who died for me specifically. He rose from the grave. He's alive. That not only are you forgiven, but you have the hope of eternal life and you have relationship with the Father. It only comes through Jesus. Not through a church, not through your own efforts, not by trying to be religious. It comes by faith in Jesus. Will you come to him if you've never done that? Today is the day of salvation. And you can pray right where you are that Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me and I confess I am a sinner. Forgive me. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you rose again and your life speaking to my heart. Be the Lord of my life. You're my Savior. I want to walk with you and know you. And I thank you for, for hearing my prayer. And I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. And listen, if you prayed that prayer sincerely, you're here. Or if you're listening on live stream, give us a call this week. Or if you're here, that we're going to have a prayer team up here in just a minute as we close. Tell them the decision you made. We want to pray for you and encourage you. But for all of us, that we would live that life according to your ways and purity, Lord. And anything that is in our life that is that needs to go and we need to turn from, Lord, may we just right now walk out of this place saying, I hear your voice, Lord, and I know that your commandments are an expression of your love and they're not burdensome. And help me to live for you. So I thank you for today. I thank you for what you're doing here. We pray for Jamie as she's headed to South Sudan. And Lord, we pray you bless her over the next few weeks and keep her safe and the team. Bless them in every way as they minister. We pray for our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted all throughout the world. It's increasing. And Lord, those of us here that are going through some kind of hostility, that you would strengthen them and bless them. And Lord, encourage them that you're with them. You'll never leave us or forsake us. Again, we thank you for today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Would you please stand? And as the ministry comes forward, uh, team comes forward to pray with you, take time to pray with them. If you have any prayer needs, we want to make that available for you and minister to you in that way. Hey, don't forget about Wednesday night. Love to see you come out uh, on Wednesday night uh, as we study Isaiah. And Jesse's going to close us and we'll be dismissed. We sing you are holy, great and mighty. The moon and the stars declare who you are. I'm so unworthy, but still you love me forever, my heart. We'll sing of how great you are. Have a great day, guys.